There's clever engineers. But no. Time for ASO Radio. And welcome to episode 95 of ASO Radio. I, of course, am your host, NZ17, and we have a delicious selection of news for your perusal and approval. Not to mention a sweet set of reviews and a hot spot featuring a GameCube video game review. So obviously we got a lot of stuff planned, but before we get to that, I wanted to go and let everybody know something. Uh, some of you may have noticed that it seems that I've been a bit slacking lately with the um, episodes. Haven't been putting out enough episodes. Um, been skipping a couple of weeks here and there. But the most recent reason that I was unable to put out an episode is last week I had... Um, uh, dental work uh, done and I had one of my teeth extracted with a pair of dental pliers. Um, the gum is still somewhat sore and so I have to be a bit careful with it and uh, hopefully they will be able to get through this entire episode without too much pain on my behalf. Anyways, we've got a bunch of news to do for you. Uh, this week, though, it's not from Anime News Network, it's from Anime News Service, because at the moment that I'm recording this, Anime News Network is down, and so we'll have to go through Anime News Service. So credit goes to them for today's news section. Alright, first up, we have a bit about uh, public baths and the dangers they pose to anime. Confused? Let me sort things out. A wall painting by famed manga creator Osamu Tezuka and eight other artists which had been saved immediately before being burnt as public bath fuel is now being exhibited in Kiyosei City, Tokyo. With the theme of Town of the Future, Takashi Yanase, uh, Hiroshi Tada, Chao Shinta, Ryohei Tanagihara, Kazuo, sorry, Kazuo uh, Mikawa, and Mi, uh, Miyotaru Sagawa were among the contributors. The 10 meter long, 2.6 meter high mural was first shown in the Saitama Prefecture Green Festival in 1987. Following the festival, the 11 piece painting was taken down and transferred to the public bathhouse Noyu, I mean Noyu, of Kiyosei City, where it was to be used as fuel to heat the baths. By chance, 69-year-old Nobuyashi Jimbo, who managed the public bath, found the names of the eight artists in the section of the work and wondered if they may have some value. 
Restoration by the volunteer cooperation started in 1999. The public became aware of the painting's existence about a year ago when it was the subject of a TV special. And speaking of special things from TV, soon we may have the camouflage-style armor that you see in Ghost in the Shell. 9MSN mentions more rumblings of real-world scientists trying to make a ghost-in-the-shell-style thermoptic camouflage system, a.k.a. invisibility cloak. Researchers at Duke University, Imperial College London, said they had developed a blueprint for an invisibility cloak that could have a range of uses from defense applications to wireless communications. They work, their work was partially funded by the Defense Advancement Research Projects Agency, DARPA, which is an agency of the U.S. Department of Defense. The cloak theoretically could be achieved by using exotic artificial composite materials called metamaterials, they said, but first they would have to make the metamaterials, which would deflect light and sound and force waves, oh, and other force waves. Early versions that could mask microwaves and other electromagnetic radiations could be as close as 18 months away, he said. The real deal is five years from now. Takahata's South Korean Adventure Studio Ghibli director Isao Takahata left for South Korea on May 24th. He almost didn't make it, though. Arriving at the Tokyo International Airport, Hanada, in the afternoon, Takahata presented his passport to a staff member of his chartered airline. When the staff opened it up, they were perplexed to see a woman's photograph looking back at them. It turns out Takahata had accidentally grabbed his wife's passport before confirming the interior contents. As a result, one of his scheduled interviews in South Korea was delayed by four hours. He was quoted saying something along the lines of, When working on my works, through, uh, though concentration was shown by staying up all night numerous days, my only failures occur in daily life. This has been his third visit to South Korea. Now, some of you may not be aware, but maid cafes have become rather popular in recent times over in Japan. And, uh, as a result of this, also... Butler cafes have become popular. But what is such a thing? Essentially, it involves the workers dressing up like maids or butlers and serving to your every need and whim for a premium fee. So, what does this have to do with our next news item? Well, Goma Books has published a new book in Japan entitled Maid Cafe Kagyo Manual, or the Maid House Tea Shop Opening Manual. Written by Takushi Akahori, the 1,365-yen book explores the household-made cafe business that's explosively increasing throughout Japan and Asia as an after-effect of the MOE boom. With all the assorted publications existing on maid culture, this book prides itself on giving readers the first backstage look into maid business itself. Information contained therein was obtained by speaking with and sending questionnaires to the staff of such shops around Japan. Um, it was going to be addressed to the household, wait, to the housemaid having tea of the whole country. Yeah, this is really poorly written. <laughs> Uh, okay, but next sentence is better. Chapters and subchapters include Basis of Housemaid Business, Current State of Moe Boom, Large Process of Housemaid Tea Shops, Kinds of Housemaid Businesses, Housemaid's uh, Chapter of Tavern, Explores the Idea of Employing Maids as Bartenders, Blah, 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 blah. 
Man, that was really long. Uh, additionally, in-depth interview sections with owners and managers appear throughout. Landmark punishment in Hong Kong anime piracy case. It's things like this that fill my heart with a sense of due justice. People's Daily and Asia Media mention a Hong Kong company owner was jailed six months yesterday for selling pirated Japanese animation discs over the Internet. Customs officials said it was the heaviest sentence of its kind. The 31-year-old was convicted in Kyutong Court of possession for the purpose of or in the course of any trade or business of infringing copies of copyright works with a view to committing any act infringing copyright without the licenses of the copyright owners. Trust me, it was much smaller in Chinese. Original Castlevania game is coming to the PS2. GPARA mentions Hamster is going to port the 1988 arcade game Haunted Castle, also known as Akumajo Dracula, also known as Castlevania, to the PlayStation 2 in May 2006 as part of the Oritachi Game Center Zoku series. Release is set for May 2006. The six-stage game, priced at under 2,000 yen, includes an authorized guidebook, privilege DVD, game music CD, and the game title itself. And of course, Wikipedia has all the information you could need about this original arcade game. First in the Castlevania series. Okay, next up. In his old hometown of Kobe, there's been recent talk of creating a more, uh, memorial to Tatsujin 28 creator uh, Mitsutero Yokoyama. On this occasion of the character's 50th anniversary, some may know him as Gigantor. Local volunteers are planning to construct a monument to Tetsujin 28 and a memorial to Yokoyama around the J.R. Shin Nagata Station. Being called the Kobe Tetsujin Project, the first move will be a Tetsujin 28 art exhibit uh, to be held in June. The author died tragically in a fire in 2004. Hikari Production, who holds the copyrights to many of his works, has agreed to cooperate and is planning uh oh and a planning committee and finance campaign will start up soon. The exhibition will run from June seventeenth to july second, featuring around one hundred and fifty items including illustrations, figures, and elaborate robots. Speaking of elaborate robots, I personally am quite excited for Super Robot Wars to be finally seeing a release in America. Uh, we're getting not one, but two of the Game Boy games, courtesy of Atlas. If anyone goes and receives these games, please write into our fan mail section and let us know if they're any good. Moving on. Yo-Yo Animation busted for false advertising. Uh, if you are used to viewing raw anime broadcasts, a.k.a. those without subtitles, often uh, traded online... You've probably seen the Yoyogi Animation Gakuen commercial spots for years and years. Now, an ad the school took out in magazines has landed them in hot water, charged with violating the Keihin Kyojiho law for preventing unjustifiable extra or benefit and misleading representation. It is said their advertisement, which reads enrollees who later drop out, will have their entire tuition refunded. 
After a number of complaints, Yo-Yo Gee was sent a cease and desist letter by the Fair Trade Commission ordering proper payment for incidents occurring between April 2004 and January 2005. The school maintains 12 campuses and a student body of 6,000. It said that for the school entrance tuition of 590,000 to 650,000 yen, 220,000 yen was not compensated in these cases. According to the Fair Trade Commission, Yoyogi's sales in fiscal year 2005 are close to 4.7 billion yen. Mamma mia, that's a lot of back pay owed. Well, that does it for the news for this episode. I um, would like to know what people think of this news as compared to our typical Anime News Network coverage. If you have an opinion, be sure to write in to us using the fan mail submission form you can find on the website. This segment of ASO Radio brought to you by... Hello, people on Internet land. Do you like Teletubby fan fiction? Well, of course you do. You're on the Internet. So check out NZ17... Microfilm.com. <laughs> it's delicious. Now, the past few weeks, we've been going and doing multi-part episodes, broken up into segments released over a daily basis. Uh, this week, though, I decided to go and kick it old school and just put together one full-length episode for everybody to enjoy. Um, now, I'm not sure which format I'm going to go and stick with, and who knows, maybe I'll just flip-flop back and forth. Uh, but I do know that if I switch back to the weekly basis, though, we may have one week for the non-paying members of the Acer Radio listening audience where there will be no new episode. Um, so we can get a bit of uh, spacer between those club members with advanced access and those of uh, the general non-paying public. And speaking of which, we're going to be relaunching Club NZ very, very soon. And this is going to have a lot of really great exclusive content. And it's going to be much, much better than the old Club NZ um, interface. In the past, we only had Acer Radio as part of Club NZ, and you had to go through uh, the Acer Radio website to go and download the Club NZ exclusive Acer Radio material. And it was kind of funky because first you had to go and sign up at the forum, uh, join the uh, club, and write down the password so you could then go and enter it when you go to the Club NZ episodes. Really, really funky. The new system, though, is going to be very, very nice. One solid login um, for Club NZ members. Going to go and carry over your password from session to session so you don't have to enter it every time. Uh, it's going to be very, very nice. We may even use a credit system where when you join up you get like, let's say, 5,000 credits and then each episode costs like 500 credits. And so you can buy the episodes with those as well as Anifanaticu articles, MacroboV wallpapers, and exclusive MacroboV wall uh, comics. These comics are not featuring just MacroboV, though they're often parroting other uh, anime and creative outlets for our man Kenneth Russey, who is in charge of doing those comic strips. Um, okay, but enough of this spiel. We've got a couple of anime reviews to do this week. Uh, we've got to do Catnap the Movie, 
Hugo the Negotiator, Pakistan, Volume 1, and Kimigure Orange Road TV Series, Volume 1. And uh, next week, we'll be reviewing Paranoia Agent and the Hakadin, Legend of the Dog Warriors. Alright, but let's start with Catnap the Movie. Now, many of you will recall my um, review of uh, Night on the Galactic Railroad, which, uh, to be kind, we'll say was not a glowing review. Well, it's much, much different in the land of Catnapped. Though these both feature uh, anthropomorphic cats, Catnapped is far and away a much, much better project. It... Um, the story goes is that a boy um, had a pet dog, and this dog was uh, cowardly. And so when the dog wasn't able to go and put up a fight and protect the boy when some other kids were picking on him, the boy went and got mad, and he beat on the dog, and the dog ran away. Well, unbeknownst to the boy and his sister, who are the two main characters in the show, the dog ended up being catnapped by, or if you will, kidnapped, by an evil cat princess. And in her land, the land of the cats, um, any outsiders that are there for more than one day become a, a huge uh, monster. And she has been using the monster version of their dog to terrorize the land and force people to do her will. So three cat scientists decide to come and employ the children to go and retrieve their dog and save their land from the tyranny of the princess. Along the way, the kids go and when they are exposed to the land of the cats, become cat people themselves as they are found to be um, outsiders and every outsider changes according to their land. It's, uh, the kids are really well portrayed and seem enough like kids as it was before, but once they turn into cats, they're even more cute and lovable than they were when they were their old human selves. Um, the girl is really energetic and outgoing, and the boy tends to brood more, um, but can be goaded uh, into doing the uh, right things that he needs to do as a call of duty. The movie... Um, is really just kind of whacking off the wall if you haven't figured out by the introductory statements. Uh, the cat princess, for example, has been cursed because of her selfishness so that she can't come into contact with anyone because if she does touch them, they turn into uh, balloons. The cat, there's numerous cats that have been kidnapped and have been inflated in her mad plan to go and force um, all of the people to go and swear sovereignty to her. Um, but she, of course, doesn't see this as a curse. She lies to herself, saying that she sees it as an opportunity, even though in her heart she knows it's a curse. Now, the plot of this show isn't really the main pole. What is the main pole is excellent, excellent soundtrack. It's stuck in your head, and it will not leave. Uh, it just has wonderful, catchy music that you can listen to within the show or even on its own because it's just so good it stands up by itself. Um, the characters are really well portrayed, really solid. You'll fall in love with almost every character that's in the show, I guarantee. There's um, a bit of a back and forth between the boy and a 
tomboy cat girl which he encounters that works alongside the scientist and her brother is infatuated with the princess and is working for her so there's a bit of a conflict between these different siblings take on things just everybody is really good at playing off of each other and what can I say it's a fantastically well done movie um, it could have done a little bit more catering to uh, the older audience a couple of jokes or nudges their way uh, but the entire show stays mainly focused on kids. So, you know, i got to take a little bit off because of that. If, if, if it was targeting everybody equally but with a bit more emphasis towards the kids, uh, this would have got a top recommendation without a problem. How, as it is, however, Catnap does go on for a bit too long. The movie could have been 10 or 20 minutes shorter and would have been better for it. But... Like I said, the animation quality outstanding, the soundtrack awesome, and the characters simply well portrayed. And I would love to see a sequel to this, but since the movie did come out over six years ago, unfortunately, I think I'm out of luck on that one. But, regardless, I give Catnap the movie a highly recommended. Next up is a uh, thriller... Uh, called Yugo the Negotiator, uh, or Yugo in Pakistan, as the Japanese subtitles um, lend themselves to say. Yugo the Negotiator is about a man named Yugo who has made it his life's goal to be a negotiator. And he uh, carries out this role with an extreme dedication to his art. Um... This first DVD acts more as a setup to the actual negotiation than anything else. But, since it's only a two-DVD series, that isn't much of a problem. Unfortunately, uh, they decided to go and make Pac uh, Yugo the Negotiator, Pakistan, into an OAV series, rather than going and making it a straight-out movie, which th it would have been much better served with that, because you wouldn't have to deal with the openings and closings and all the little eye-catches, and the mood would have flowed much better with this, especially since the whole thing plays out much like a movie. Hugo does a really good job of building up tension and keeping you interested, but after you stop watching the show, there's not that much driving you to come back to see it. So if you were to watch one or two episodes, you'd be enthralled during the episodes, but you wouldn't feel a real need to come back to them. However, like I said, everything does play all together, and so you can't really watch Volume 1 without seeing Volume 2. So you could kind of think of the Volume 1 as a tease. Myself, I would have preferred to have all six episodes on one DVD and just had a higher charge for them as I'm sure breaking it across too isn't improving the cells for anyone. So, with Hugo the Negotiator being broken down between two of them, and um, it's being more of a series than a movie, this is going to go and, of course, negatively affect the rating. Um, the story is pretty straightforward. Uh, a man has been kidnapped while overseas in Pakistan, and his daughter comes to Hugo and is willing to pay any price to go and get her father back. Hugo contacts his contacts, who go and arrange things such as travel, communications, and all the things that he'll need while on his travels. 
while he's in Pakistan, he goes and takes pity on the life of an, abu an abused mute girl who's only mute because her tongue was cut off for insubordination. And she starts to follow him around, which leads to complications for Hugo, but on the other hand, also goes and gets him out of a bind on a couple of occasions. So it's interesting to go and watch this and see how the two's interactions uh, evolve. And it'll be interesting when and if we see volume, one, uh, volume two, if this girl becomes a problem or ends up getting sniped out by the um, opposition which uh, do not want to speak with Hugo because he is a Japanese person and they believe only Pakistanis have honor and so they plan to kill him. And that is where the cliffhanger for Volume 1 is. So I'm going to have to go give Hugo the negotiator a, um, a neutral. Um, I could give it a recommended, but sometimes the music doesn't fit the show very well and it just would have worked out so much better had they taken a different approach with packaging the whole uh, experience. However, I do have to say they did an excellent job with all the bonus materials about the making of, how they had to go and study Pakistani culture and all this in order to make the film. So big props for the um, bonus material, uh, but I don't know if I can quite give Hugo the Negotiator recommended until I see volume two and see how everything pans out so I don't know do you guys think I'm being too harsh by giving it a neutral should, should I go up to recommended because I can you know it um, well I think we'll go ahead and give this uh, a recommended it, it's good could have been better but I think the bonus materials nudge it up high enough so we'll we'll say recommended for you go Alright, our last review is of Kimigure Orange Road TV Series Volume 1. This was originally released in 1987, and oh good golly, it shows. As listeners of the show should note, I despise the 80s so much. Don't get me wrong, there were some good things that came out of the 80s, but on the whole, it's just a period of time I wish would vanish from memory and would have never happened. It was a time of self-centered people materialistically trying to get ahead, a time of big, foofy hair and outlandish clothes that are just tacky by today's standards, and oh, don't even get me started on the spandex and aerobics. That game was a sight to not behold on the NES. But enough about dance aerobics, which I think we actually reviewed on an episode of ASO Radio. What about Kimigure Orange Road? Well, this is more or less exactly your typical teenage romance drama. The only thing that makes this show stand out at all is the fact that the family, uh, the main family of the show, all have psychic powers, which seem to only manifest themselves as telekinesis, but perhaps they actually have other powers which are revealed later on in the series. I can't quite say, but what I can say is that the family has had to move several times because of people finding out about their abilities. And, uh, of course, they don't want to continue to have to move and make new friends and find new employment at different places. So, um, they all try to go and keep their powers under wrap. However, 
um, school life and the often escaping cat go and provide a ample opportunity for them to feel a need to use their powers. Uh, as such, one day our main hero happens to go and be depressed after a ball game where he lost the winning shot. And he goes and he decides, you know, I could have made that, and tosses the ball and uses his powers, while unbeknownst being observed by another girl. And this girl now falls deeply in love with him because he's just oh so cool. Um, unfortunately, though, this is no good for our hero, name of Kasuga Kiyosuke, because... Um, he is in love with the mysterious Ayukawa Madoka, who has an apparently very large, um, she, she's just double-faced. She's two-faced, right? Because she acts one way when she's just alone with him, she acts another way when she's out in public, and she acts a completely different way when she's at school. So it's very, very, um, she just comes off as insane to me, but, um, She's putting on all these pretentious facades around different people in order to go and have them think a certain way of her so she can take advantage of this. But of course, like I said, Himaya Hikaru, uh, the other girl, has a big crush on him and starts trying to go and date out. And of course, whenever he is on a date with her, or whenever he gets a moment with Madoka, um, he of course is observed by the other girl and they go and get in hissy fits and whatnot, so he has to go and make up for it. And, of course, the series is littered with misunderstandings because what would a teenage romantic drama be without the misunderstandings? As you can tell, I wasn't entirely enthralled with this series. It's not a bad series, but unfortunately it's rather boring because it's all been done before. If it wasn't for the psychic powers, there actually wouldn't really be anything outstanding about this show at all. And as it is, the psychic powers act more as a plot device than anything else in order to go and have certain things happen at certain times to go and have people think uh, what they need to think in order to progress the plot. So the powers themselves are uh, suppressed by the family, but also seem suppressed just by the writers. Uh, though I wanted to enjoy this Kimagure Orange Road and I had heard good things about it in the past, unfortunately what I had heard did not match up with what I saw. I'm going to have to give Kimagure Orange Road a neutral recommendation. Uh, by the way, if anybody has any anime that they would like uh, me to review on ASO Radio, well, I can't know without you writing in to let me know. So, if you would like to have me go and review a particular anime on Acer Radio, be sure to stop by our website, www.nz17.com slash Radio, and uh, use the fan mail submission form to go and let me know what you would like to hear about on the show. This segment of Acer Radio brought to you by... Most anime review sites are gone and written by a huge, big staff with varying tastes and perspectives, so it's always hard to tell where the reviewer is coming from. Not so with Anifanatiku. Our main man, Warp Shadow, has reviewed over 400 different anime on this website, and he's constantly reviewing more. 
And when I say reviewed, I don't mean watched a few episodes and wrote up a description. I mean he went and he watched the entire series. So if you want to go and find out whether an anime is good or bad and contrast it with an opinion you know, be sure to visit the website at www.nz17.com slash For the hotspot this week, we're going to feature a video game review. This time, it's going to be Piano 3 for the Nintendo GameCube. So what is Piano 3? Well, it was developed by Shinji Mikami and Capcom Production Studio 4. Those of you out there who recognize his name probably remember him from the Resident Evil series in Devil May Cry. Piano 3 uh, will remind you, if you play it, of the clunky control scheme of the early Resident Evil games. Um, and Piano 3, at first glance, looks like some crazy action 3D game, when in fact it plays much more like a traditional arcade shooter. In this game, you play v as Vanessa Z. Schneider, a very German-sounding name for a very good reason. That's part of the wafer-thin plot, so you'll have to wait until you play the game if you want to find out more. And um, I do not tell about the plot for good reason, because there's so very little to it that about anything would spoil it. But let's just say that Vanessa is a mercenary who is working for her client in order to take down a large robot army that is protecting a number of data centers and what have you that need to be destroyed by her in order to collect her bounty. Uh, the game, uh, at first, looks like it's a 3D action game, which you can run around and do all sorts of crazy stuff in. But in fact, your real controls happen to be the shoulder buttons, which let you go and dodge left and right to avoid the enemy fire. All the enemies attack in predictable, repetitive attacking patterns. Now, don't get me wrong, this game is rather difficult when you first play it and don't know the patterns of the enemies because you can die very, very easily. In the earlier stages, your uh, default suit will be able to take down the enemies rather well, but you'll quickly want to go and upgrade as soon as you can because as the levels go on, the enemies not only have stronger firepower, but they have stronger armor as well. This provides a problem unless, of course, you go to the shop which is provided in between levels. The game is only 11 stages long, but thankfully this is stretched out by the trial missions which are provided in between the levels. There are five sets of trial missions after each level, excluding the last level, of course, and by going through these trial missions you can earn additional credits which you can use to buy the new suits and upgrades and special moves for the suits, which, by the way, you'll need to go and get one of the best suits if you ever want to have any chance of beating the final boss as it becomes uh, rather ridiculous when you finally fight him. Up until that point, most of the boss fights and enemies you encounter are rather easy to do, but the final boss has a health meter which stretches clear from one side of the screen to the other, and it takes an incredibly long time to dwindle it from the right side all the way down to the left side of the screen. So while the difficulty of this game curves rather well, uh, it unfortunately goes and has quite a few uh, spikes along the way as well, so you're going to want to have to go and practice at this game. 
Unfortunately, though, many people are turned off by the large number of white, plain-looking co corridors that you travel throughout in the game. True enough, the game does recycle many, many, many sections of it with few unique areas which are mainly confined to the boss battles. These interchangeable section parts are actually randomly picked when you go and play on the trial missions, though thankfully the real levels are actually laid out by a designer. Unfortunately, though, the laid out levels only feel moderately more uh, interesting than those which are randomly generated, which says very little for the design of the game's levels. However, props do have to be given because it does go and achieve its goal of being very stylish um, and having really good replay value. Unfortunately, though, like I said, you have to earn up uh, money to go and buy your new suits. And to get the best suits and upgrade them all the way, you're going to be playing the trial missions. A lot. And because of this, though it may have good replay value and gets you pumped up with its really good music and what have you at first, unfortunately you're going to get really bored by the time you can finally beat the game. And so, only the most dedicated will actually be able to see the ending. Having beaten the game myself, I can assure you that the ending isn't really all that worthwhile, but it does grant you a huge feeling of accomplishment once you finally go and get to see the end credits after taking down the final boss. There is one thing, though, that should be noted by uh, more sensitive players. Though this game is rated teen, it should have really been called the stripper game. I have a theory that the game's designer went to a bar after work and was chatting with some of his other designer buddies, and they all decided to go down to a strip club after getting nicely drunk. Uh, while at the strip club, they all went, you know what, I bet, I bet we could make a game out of that girl there. She, she is so hot, and she's so cool, we could totally make a game out of that. And unfortunately, that's what we end up with. If you watch the moves of Vanessa Z. Schneider, as I found myself doing as I was running through yet the millionth time through a corridor in order to kill an enemy to earn a meager amount of credit towards my next suit, you'll notice that all of her moves are quite obviously uh, inspired by stripper dancing, if you will, exotic dancing. Though I think they should call it erotic dancing, since it's not really that exotic now, is it? Um, and so if you don't want to go and watch the back end of a stripper swiveling about for about 20 hour, hours, myself, I believe I got through the game in 16 hours, including maxing out the suit that I finished the game with, um, although I was at the end of the game, um, to the last level, I mean, after only 11 hours, I had to spend several more hours going and getting up a good enough suit to finish the game. The other problem is, is though some people may think that, hey, it's a stripper, this is going to be a really attractive character. Um, unfortunately, Vanessa comes off as a, a really, really cold, uh, if you will, heartless mercenary. And so somebody looking for love in the 3D realm isn't going to be able to find that here either. So I think that this game really misses its mark. It looks like a 3D action game which gives you complete freedom of movement, but if you try to play it like one of those games, it feels extraordinarily clunky. You have to learn that this is not so much a game like that as it is like Space Invaders. Yes, I'm talking about that 80s arcade game of yore. 
In essence, all you can do in Space Invaders is shoot forward and dodge left and right to avoid the enemy's fire as dozens of enemies descend upon you, slowly firing back themselves. And that, unfortunately, perfectly describes Piano 3. This game, if not for the graphics, would have fit in perfectly had it been released in the mid-1980s, because the gameplay isn't anything beyond that. Oh sure, there's the special moves, but you get to use them so infrequently that it only factors in to taking out large or powerful enemies and little much else. Uh, so like I said, the game misses its mark. It's a traditional shooter, except it doesn't look like that, so traditional shooter fans didn't buy it. It looks like a 3D action game, but it's not, and so people buying it thinking it was that were disappointed and returned it. And people going and looking for a attractive female character, which to ogle for hours on end, will find themselves ultimately disappointed with Vanessa. So this game, uh, it's it's solidly done, but unfortunately there's nothing much to it. So I'm going, I mean, solidly done, obviously. I don't mean that it's a AAA title, but I mean it's not exactly disrespectful either. Though the graphics are, uh, some claim them to be simplistic, in fact they are rather stylistic and provide nice explosions. Fortunately, though, the explosions are rather canned, and so you end up seeing the same massive fireball every time. Though, to the programmer's credits, the uh, robot parts do fly off and land on the different um, terrain of the stages, and so each time that happens is unique. But how unique can you be with spreading robot parts? I am going to give Piano 3 for the Nintendo GameCube a neutral rating. It was fun to play through at first, but unfortunately, you're going to end up snoozing before you end up getting to the game. Either that, or if you're not much of a shooter fan, you're going to just end up frustrated and giving up on it anyways. So, Piano 3 gets a neutral from me. Well, I hope all of you enjoyed episode 95 as much as I enjoyed making it. I promise next week that uh, my mouth will be much less sore and will be able to bring you a much more enthusiastic and possibly even more fun episode of ASO Radio. Until then, be sure to check out our website to see all of our past reviews, download our uh, previous episodes, and be sure to interact with us on our message board and send in your fan mail to ASO Radio so we can read it on the air. After all, we love getting fan mail. Let's us know you listen, lets us know you care, and lets us know how we can improve the show. So until next time, this is NZ17 signing out. ASA Radio is copyright of NZ17 Productions. ASA Radio is licensed to the general public under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. Additional licenses available. For more information, visit us online at www.nz17.com.